kick in by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry! Stoops! All right, we're back. We're live. Oh, we're back for the post game show this time. I was gonna do the go. uh, the whole. Uh, you, did you watch the game awards, or did you see the not not maybe okay? Let's let's refer. Nobody watched it, but did you see did you see the the bit at the end of the game of the year awards when from software got up on stage? No. Okay, so, so I that's why I debated doing the bit or not. There's this this kid who followed the developers on stage when they did their acceptance speech for uh, for game of the year. And he's like, I'd like to nominate uh, this award to my reformed rabbi, Bill Clinton. And he just walked up on stage and said that. <laughs> and, then, and, then I, and then he got escorted off. But, like, no security. It was amazing. He just he literally just got up out of, out of the seats, followed them on stage, stood behind them, waited till they were done, and then walked up to the mic and said that. It was great. That's incredible. I don't know who that kid is, but they are now officially my hero. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. It was amazing, and it became a whole, um, a whole bit that uh, everybody was making memes um, about. What is the ashes? They they summon the wrong ash for, for the <laughs> game awards, or um, I forget what. Like a, it's like a an invader, a dark invader appeared or something, and they had the guy like shrouded in red. It was it was hilarious. It was good. But uh, funny. I was going to do that bit, and then I was like, I don't know if you've seen it. You won't understand. But uh, I, I, Yeah, I'd have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, that would have been a good did, way to start the show. Uh, I did shake Bill Clinton's <laughs> hand one time, and yeah. then my girlfriend sexually assaulted him, and he laughed it off. <laughs> so when, we, when I first got to UCLA, there was like a rally at some point for like Jerry Brown and Gavin Newsom and – uh, yeah, because Jerry Brown was running for governor, and Gavin Newsom was running for uh, lieutenant governor, I think. And so there was like a speech on campus or whatever, and like Bill Clinton was speaking. So like you know whatever dude, I was like twenty, I was like yeah, I'll go see Bill Clinton speak. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> and so a bunch of us went over there, and I had like just met my girlfriend at this point. We were just friends, and so we all go and we're walking over and some woman like with like a headset and like a thing she comes up to us and she was like do you guys want to stand on stage and we're like what she goes do you guys do you guys want to stand on stage and we're like oh uh, yeah sure okay she goes all right come come with me and then they like gave us signs and we literally stood in the very first row behind the speakers and at the and so like everybody comes on and they give their speech and like obviously bill clinton goes last because like he was obviously like one the biggest name but two like yeah. the best speaker and he like gives his speech or whatever and then he um he like kind of walks off stage and says goodbye and he just kind of walks along like the crowd behind him like where we're all standing on this like um honestly like like an elementary school picture you know what i mean yeah like the bleacher yeah and so he's like shaking everybody's hand <laughs> and he steps over and my girlfriend just grabs him and gives him a hug and this dude looked 
like sure. absolutely breakable. Like he looked very fragile. He absolutely looked his age. Yeah. But he's he's a tall dude. He's like, I don't know, like six two, six three, whatever he is. But like it was really funny. And so my girlfriend just grabs him and gives him a hug. And all <laughs> and then she lets go and all of a sudden he just goes, That was unexpected, but nice. And just kind of keeps on walking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I and so that. I always give my shirt, my girlfriend shit because she's like, uh, she like assaulted a former president, and it was very funny. Love it. And I just will never forget his response. Well, that was unexpected, but nice. <laughs> Goddamn, classic. So classic. funny. All right. Well, uh, we are here, as we said, to do the post game show. Um, first one in a while, and probably in hindsight now, we we picked just an absolute stinker. Uh, of a game to come on. Yeah, here. we're the smartest people alive. Yeah, but to be fair, um, not a lot of great games this year to pick from. Um, you look or at Edward, the... whatever do you need? No, you, you look at the slate of games this week, and you could say Ottawa probably would have been the best bet to come on here for a, a good chance at getting a win, um, considering where they are in the standings versus the other teams we have to play this week in Toronto, Montreal, yeah, and LA. So. Uh, better today, I think, than tomorrow. I just know every time uh, the Ducks come to Toronto, specifically when I've been able to go see them, I can't. Uh, I'm not paying $150 to go per ticket to go see them tomorrow. Uh, but they always lose in Toronto, so I, I'm expecting more of the same tomorrow. And the way the Leafs have been playing, I think uh, probably a better choice to do today than tomorrow because tomorrow's tomorrow could be bleak uh, on a on a second or a back to back too. Yeah, I mean, I think the ultimate testament to how much things have turned around in Toronto is that Toronto media is talking about could William Nylander possibly hit 50 goals this year? And normally it's like, why does William Nylander suck? And why is he the worst member on the team? And his $7 million needs to go. And they're like, what if he hit 50 goals? And I'm like, oh, okay, things are like back to normal, like yeah. are back on track in Toronto. I, sure I feel now. like I, I didn't. No, he was like doing as well as he was. I hadn't heard too much about him, uh, and I've because tried to. Fucking Mitch Marner is on like yeah. a forty-five game point streak, and, I, and he's the local kid, and he steals all the attention. I've tried to tune out the Toronto media and everything, but I think what Nylander had a five-point game the other day, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, is Nylander is William Nylander actually one of the best players in the league? <laughs> like, and then that's the conversation that that starts from it. It's not like, oh yeah, William Nylander is ha- quietly having a really good season. He's a really good player. It's like the utmost extreme end of it. They're like, is William Nylander the best winger in the National Hockey League? Is William Nylander better than Connor McDavid? Like, that's the that's the where the conversation that's where the conversation like starts going. It just goes to like the the whole awesome. like pitch end of it is like he's a a god now, and we didn't throw him in every trade rumor we possibly could just oh, a year right? and a half ago. Yeah, they I, haven't I been it. trying to run that dude out of town since he got drafted. Same with same with Mitch too, right? Like anytime Mitch, you know, Mitch didn't show up in the playoffs, Mitch Marner didn't score a goal in in the playoffs for his like first fifteen playoff games of his career or something, and it's like, oh, Mitch Marner's a bum. We got to get him out of out of here. Trade him for somebody else. Bring in our mm-hmm. that defenseman or goaltender we need, and then the guy rattles off what now like a twenty one game point streak, and it was like, oh man, like, like there's no way we can get rid of this guy. Like it's, it's good players are good. Yeah. Wild to think about. Yeah, wild, wild. When when Austin Matthews is not doing amazing things this year, that other guys step up and claim the spotlight. They're they're actually good players. And 
John Tavares too is is looking uh, like John Tavares from the Islanders, but he was shit on a, a pretty much any chance he get too. I mean, that's just a Toronto media, right? If you're not playing well, then you you get. Uh... Well, the other thing is, is like the thing with Tavares is like he's the oldest, and his contract is the most clearly like. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. It's the easy like, one to look at and be like, "Yeah, that's gonna yeah, hurt them sooner rather right. than later." Probably already is, but when the raw production isn't there from Nylander, it's very easy to just be dismissive of how good he is, anyways, mm-hmm. and be like, "Oh, well, that's seven million dollars. That could be like a number one defenseman or whatever the fuck, right?" Yeah. But like, he's playing really well, so you can't do that, and you know. John Tavares, like you said, is having, you know, probably the best year he's had in Toronto. And that was after being almost, I think, a 100-point player last year. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, and he's better this year. And then, you know, again, Mitch Mar- and it, it's just hilarious, right? It's like, oh, we had to basically shoot Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, and Jake Muzzin. Yeah. And now it's just forwards and Mark Giordano and everything's fine. Okay, sure, why not? Yeah, shout, shout out to Rasmus Sandin, who we were pretty heavily uh, voting on the Ducks to bring in when he was b- before he had signed his RFA uh, status contract. That uh, he's been tearing it up. He's got the best opportunity possible to him in a sense that all these guys are out and he stepped up and placed now like twenty two, twenty three minutes a night, and he he's looking pretty he's looking pretty good, which is disappointing because I would have loved to have him. And I have another guy who's, who's looking pretty good, who I I takes shoulder some of the blame for his performance tonight, Alex DeBrinkett. I was sitting here before the game, I was like, man, he has, like, has this trade not worked out that well for the Sens? Like, he hasn't looked that good so far since, or at least he hasn't looked like Alex DeBrinkett since coming to Ottawa, a guy who's, you know, perennial 40-goal scorer, and he rattles off two mm-hmm. two goals against the Ducks tonight, of course, right? Like, it's just the, the perfect timing. It always seems to be... When you start looking at how a guy's not been doing that good, he lights up your team. That's usually that's usually the case with Anaheim. Yeah. Um, speaking of Pat Verbeek not adding guys people ask for, <laughs> just dive right into it. Eh? Let's go for I it. Huh? it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess there's a few things we can do. Like we can do like that kind of crap. We can do the what the hell just happened between this game and the San Jose game, which I feel is like kind of where you were going. And I just brought up Twitter, and a tweet came up earlier, and I was like, "Oh, that's right, the Ely the Ely Tolvanen thing." Yeah, it's um, everything. Yeah, I mean, everybody. I mean, it happens when a lot of I don't want to say well, a lot of players go on waivers, but anybody that's like not complete trash that is like notable that goes on waivers because where the Ducks are, like they they have the number one waiver priority until they're not in last place, so it always becomes a topic of conversation. Like we had this conversation on a pod when Mike Riley was on waivers. Uh, we've had this conversation, I, I think at least three or four times this year when different guys have been on waivers. This was, I think maybe if you want to call it the most high profile player or, you know, profile of player um, who went on waivers and told an former first round pick, a guy who was a highly touted prospect, good world juniors performance, good uh, performance in the KHL uh, in in the U.S. Uh, Hockey League at at one point as well. So he, and, and the guy who Predators fans liked a lot from looking at the comments, and the guy who's still playing pretty well defensively, and and his offensive production hasn't been that bad over the last couple of years with the Preds. A couple eleven goal, twenty point seasons uh, in about I think forty games and seventy games. So it's not completely awful when you're you know only playing ten eleven minutes a night, but uh, he ends up going to Seattle. 
21 teams pass on this guy when you if you had to scroll through like the just the five teams who had the highest waiver priority and their fan bases on Twitter, I think it was Anaheim, Chicago, Columbus, and Arizona. Everybody wanted this guy. And then even the teams below that as well. Like, you know, I, I saw even some Leafs fans like, oh my god, if this guy falls to Toronto, like want to take this guy in a heartbeat. And of course it's Seattle of all teams, right? Like they always just seem to make the right decision at this point. But are you surprised how many teams passed in this guy? Because I was. Like, I thought, okay, there's obviously a chance the Ducks don't take him. Like, every time we want them to take a guy on waivers, they don't. But for him to go through that many teams that aren't willing to take a shot on him, and he goes all the way down to Seattle. So here's the thing about that, right? Because I think that has kind of been the assumption by certain people. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to remember that he makes a $1.45 million this year and next. Yeah. There are only 10 teams in the league right now who can absorb a full 1.5 more can absorb that. Yeah. And the 11th team is, I want to say, Calgary, and they have just under a million. And so I do think a, a part of it is the, there are still teams struggling to make sure they have the, the necessary amount of cap space. And I think, yeah. you know, the Predators are a team that's trying to contend, right? Their intention at the very least is to contend. And if they're not going to keep this guy up, then I think that says something for the teams in front of him. Now, to what you said earlier, um, he is a former first-round pick, which is something usually we've seen GMs really kind of fall in love with. Uh, he does have a really good shot, and his underlying defensive numbers are very strong. So, you know, in a lot of ways, what you can look at it and be like, oh, Seattle is exactly the team that I think before last season, and based on kind of how this season gone, and just kind of, you know, the people who are, who are in the room there and, and what the general opinion of those people are, like Nanita and stuff like that. Um it makes a lot of sense for them, right? It gives them some some solid um, bottom six depth. Uh, Brian Baston, who writes for On the Forecheck, or is an editor over there at the very least. I don't know how much he writes anymore, but he, he does a bunch of stuff. He's wonderful. Find him on Twitter, he's great. Um, but he, as soon as it was announced that he went on waivers yesterday, he tweeted me and was just like, you know, congratulations. Because I think it was Michael Blake McCurdy tweets out the uh, waiver order yeah. every time there's somebody semi-notable who goes on. And, um, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people who, who like him, you know, and, and like you said, the Predators fan base seem to be pretty keen on him and, and, and be hopeful for him. But, you know, he hasn't really been playing this year. And so it just kind of seems like, you know, it was just a decision that they had to make as far as just giving the roster spot to someone who is going to be able to get into more games right now for whatever reason. And so I think, you know. Sorry, I got kind of sidetracked, but I mean, this is what I mean, like, the 21 different teams on thing, right, of it, like, that's the thing I think is a part is, like, it's hard to justify bringing him in if you're not going to play him right away and when he's being waived by a team that is trying to be competitive, and then on top of that, there aren't actually as many teams as you would think who have the ability to absorb that contract should they claim him. Um and, you know, maybe you can send someone down or something like that and clear up 800K or something like that. But it, it's still worth mentioning. As far as Anaheim is concerned, he would have been the player that I would have loved to bring in. He would have been a player I would have at least tried to move into the top six and just see what happens. Um, 
I think having a guy who has a, a, a real shot like that and uh, has strong, you know, defensive numbers, like my opinion of John Hines is not particularly high. Um, you know, so I think it it would have been interesting to bring him in, but I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's it's not the biggest loss. I think it's, you know, I guess, let me ask you this way, like, how do you compare that with the Jason Megna claiming? Yeah, I'd, I, I, I don't, I, I think with bringing in Jason Magna, like if you, you want to give a guy a shot and obviously he played tonight too, um, it, it does make it hard to claim somebody else right after when you do have a lot of guys in the, on the roster already. Um, I, I'm sure it plays into that decision. I'm, I'm. I'd be, you know, it's an interesting hypothetical situation to think, okay, if they didn't claim Jason Magna, would they have gone out and 100% for sure claimed Tolvanen instead? I don't know. Uh, Magna, like, he just feels like the typical Ducks waiver claim, right? Of just kind of like this random journeyman, you know, middling fourth liner guy who's in between the AHL and the Ducks always claim those guys and give them a shot. And they play pretty well, nice energy guy, and that's usually who they go after. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, with, with Tolvan and like, it, it just, it was a little bit interesting. Like you said, like, I, I know there was a lot of teams that whether they didn't have the cap space or I think like the flyers and a few teams were at 50 contracts, so they couldn't bring him in. So there were a few teams that obviously had to pass. I think the ducks and really those first five teams, they all had a chance. They all had the cap space. They all had the contracts that they were, would be able to fit him in and give him a chance. Um, but again, like we had the same, this argument with, or this conversation, at least with Mike Riley, and it seems like a no brainer and like all the stats line up, the analytics line up for this guy being a good player, somebody should give him a shot. And then ultimately he either gets completely passed on or passed on by several teams. And there's other factors that play into it that a lot of times we're not privy to on why this decision was made, why this guy wasn't brought in. I mean, even Timo was backing the Ducks to, to go out and get Tolvan. And this one felt like it would happen. It just felt like it had a little bit more behind it of people saying, oh, Anaheim seems like a no-brainer here. They did, should definitely go out and get this guy, and they don't. Um, He's just a guy I, I think I would have liked to see, given a shot. Again, like, you know, we talk about how often, um, if a guy's a former first-round pick, how many shots at the, you know, how many kicks at the can they get for just being a former first-round pick. Um, and we bring that into our, our evaluation discussions of players a lot of times. You know, oh, this guy just needs to change the scenery. He's a former first-round pick. Like, how many times uh, – I'm sure Oilers fans are going through that with Jesse Pugliarvi right now, too. The guy just got through an interview talking about how he doesn't know if he's got to cut it for uh, for the NHL. But I'm sure there's several teams out there will would take a look, another look at this guy just because he was a former – you know, such a high former first-round pick. Uh, and I think with Tolvanen, there was enough teams, and clearly Seattle as well, willing to take that risk. And for me, as a Ducks fan, I think the Ducks could use more guys who have such a heavy shot like Tolvanen. I mean, we, we talk about that's why we brought in Vitrano, a guy who shoots the puck, who has a hard shot. And I think with a team that lacks goal scoring, to you know, it it's, doesn't cost you anything to bring this guy in and give him a shot and see what he can do. You've got the cap space. It's not going to hurt you. And you've got him for... Another year beyond this, if, if things do work out at a really nice cap hit. But I'd be interested. I, I'm sure there'll never be a comment on it, but I'd be interested to hear the decision-making behind that and why they didn't want to bring this guy in because it, it does seem like 
on paper as being a no-brainer for a guy for the Ducks to take a chance on, especially the way things are going this year. Yeah, it's it's interesting, you know what I mean? Because I, I wonder, like, how much of this, if at all, is just how weird the depth chart for wingers is on this team, right? Like, yeah. it, it just kind of feels awkward and, and unsettled and... Um, you know, I wonder if any part of it is they really just want to keep seeing what they have with the guys right now. And a guy like Jason Magna, you know, I think you could say is a little bit easier to be like found money about. And if they have to waive him to send him down because it doesn't work out, well, then, hey, man, he, he wasn't on the team to start the year. They lost him in the middle of the year. It doesn't really make a big difference. Um, you know, he's a guy that obviously they like and they, they like whatever he can bring as far as his play. And, you know, we saw him tonight like get back and break up a chance uh, on a back check. Like he's, he's been fine from what I've seen of him so far. Um, but I, I think it's kind of a, there's nothing to really lose, even if he gets claimed again. Whereas with Tolvanen, I think you're looking at a little bit closer to kind of the Hayden flurry trade where it's like, we would kind of like to hold on to this guy and see what we can get out of him. Or I guess Daniel Sprong's or not Daniel Sprong. Uh, what's his name? Christian juice. Yeah. is the easy one in that sense, right, as far as just having a guy and be like, well, we kind of want to just see what he is, and then you just kind of lose him. And, you know, you just feel like there could be a little bit more there, right? Like something yeah. could actually come out of that, whether, rather you, it, you look at Magna and you're like, you know what you're going to get, but, like, nothing else is going to come out of that. Like, it's it's not right, all of a sudden going to turn into more. I think what you get out of that is they – they know exactly what he is, and so losing him for nothing isn't a big deal. Yeah, Because I think what this is fundamentally about to me, and this is obviously wild speculation, but it really does just feel like the point of this year for Verbeek is to like see what the guys that are already here are. Right? He brought in three guys to whatever extent it's working or not working with them. He very clearly had an idea of what they were, and I think by and large they've all whether effectively or successfully or not, they've all been exactly the guys we kind of expected them to be when they walked in the door. So, you know, and you look at guys like Silverberg and, and Henrique who only have one more year left on their deal. So this gives you, in that sense, a little bit of like middle six kind of redundancy moving forward. But it feels like his whole thing is just, I don't know these kids. I want to figure out what these young guys have. Like, you know, and and. It's interesting in that sense, right, that somebody like uh, Bolu stayed up over Mahura back when they lost Mahura. Yeah. Um, I think in that context, it, it's very interesting. But I do think fundamentally, like, I don't know about you, but like I felt like it was kind of just time to move on from Mahura. And I'm glad he's doing well in Florida. I just don't think he would have been able to play that way here. Yeah, and he had a great start, and but he he's in what he is in Florida right now is exactly what he is in Anaheim or was in Anaheim. It's just kind of a guy who is a five six seventh defenseman who came in to fill in injuries, and they're starting to get guys healthy a lot, and mm-hmm. he'll still be that guy, and he might be a guy that fluctuates between the the NHL and the AHL for Florida as well, and. I I want to see him do well and and uh, I hope he does well and continues to do well in Florida. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I think the Ducks had seen enough of him at that point, and it was yeah, about I seeing, agree. you know, Vakanainen was eventually going to come back and has come back now, and to see what you can get from him and 
you see what you you have in in Beaulieu or White and those guys that you haven't been able to see for the last couple of years, right? That you unlike what you have in Mahura. So, yeah, I think I think it was about kind of seeing what you have in these guys and doing that for a full stretch across the season. But the problem is like you get these these weird stretches of games where like you play Carolina, San Jose, and Ottawa, and you expect the game against Carolina would probably be the toughest game, the game that you lose. And San Jose should be the one you pick up the win. But meanwhile, you know, you've got a completely different type of performance against Carolina where you, you play a really steady game and a good game throughout the entirety of it. And you pick up a 4-3 win in overtime. Fun, exciting game. You follow that up with just probably the worst game of the season, a 6-1 loss to the Sharks. And then a, a, another stinker today, a 3-0 loss to the Sens where you really weren't able to generate too much. The 31, 32 shots on net, I think the Ducks finished the night with. They don't really do justice to the lack of scoring quality scoring chance the Ducks had in this game. And it just shows you kind of like the obvious development there is this year and where there are games like the one against Carolina. We have a few, have had a few, uh, few and far between, but some of them this year where the Ducks have looked like they can be competitive against better teams. I, think I remember that, that win against the Rangers as well where they, they looked a lot better in games like that. And then you just have, you know, the two-thirds, I guess, of the rest of the games are games like that one against San Jose where, you know, you're playing a team who should be close to you in the standings, a team that you should be having a competitive game against, and you just get absolutely destroyed in a really embarrassing game um, where they lose 6-1 to a team that I think is just as bad as them. But uh, clearly not uh, in that case. So it's yeah, it's it's a weird one this year for sure with the types of performances that they're putting out there. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely wild, bro. Like, I think the thing for me that was different about the San Jose game, and like I want like. The San Jose game just felt like a practice. Like, they just felt like they were going through the motions. And, and I don't know if that's fair, but they didn't look like they were playing with any urgency. They didn't look like they were playing with any emotion or energy. They were just, um, you know, or someone on Twitter, Tony, said that it looked like they were skating through mud. And I think that's exactly right. They just looked just very kind of slow. And it was like, it was just bad. And I just couldn't, couldn't remember then. And still honestly can't really remember now a time where they looked that bad in the last couple of years. And like, they've been pretty fucking awful at various points of the last couple of years. And I feel like that was pretty clearly the low point of the Dallas Aikens era. Like, I yeah. think that was the first game, like, again, like, for me, that was really the first game where I was like, oh, I think you can absolutely come out of this game firing the head coach, mm-hmm. and there's really nothing to question. It's because, one of those games. It's one of those yeah. types of losses against, you know, those teams that you should be beating uh, or shouldn't be losing to like that where you're like, okay, like, even me, like, I, I don't think this guy was going to get fired. And I came out of that game like, okay, this this could be the one that does it. Like this mm-hmm. is those that's one of those games where the next day you wake up and uh, yeah, guys, he's he's gone. Like he's out the door. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it it felt like it could be one of those. Uh, I mean, it definitely it definitely could have. And I know there's a lot of people who who are saying it should have been, 
but you come out of that now and he's still here. I have I don't think anything can happen at this point. There's not much worse than you can get than a performance like that. And if he gets through that in, in the the run that the Ducks are in right now, where they haven't played well, I I don't see how he he doesn't make it to the the end of the season at this point. Yeah, I mean. You know, I said coming into the season, I didn't think he'd make it past Valentine's Day. Uh, you know, as the season went on, I felt like that was probably still right about right. Then we had the Pat Verbeek podcast interview where he stated very plainly, my intention is still to push this off till the end of the season. And I was like, OK, then, yeah, I think, you know, it's probably just fair to assume that he's not going anywhere. And then that game happened and I was like, oh, he could get fired before the game is over. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it was very kind of surprising for me to find myself in that place. And like, I, I got kind of bummed about it. Cause like, I really like Dallas Eakins. Like I really, really do. I really like so many things about him. But at this point, it seems fair to say that the on ice aspect of this, of his tenure has just been a disaster. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think you can point to some of the growth some of the players have had under him, and I think that's very real. But I think the totality of it, like, is brutal. And, you know, as much as me especially talk about the lack of, like, above-average defensive defensemen on this roster, there is a degree to which you should be able to create a system or a structure that mitigates that a little bit, right? <clears throat> have the, you know, have the forwards like play more defensively by nature and really try to insulate those guys. So they're not having to do as much. They're not getting pressed as much and things like that. And that just hasn't been there. And, and at different times it's looked like it was just players playing poorly. And at other times it's looked like they don't know what they're supposed to do. And, you know, that's one of those things that can be, you know, kind of hard to differentiate, I think, at certain times. But last night very much felt like they were just like, I don't even care. And there's a degree to which that has to be part of, like, that's part of the coach's job is making sure that these guys are are prepared to play every night. And that that San Jose game was just oof man and it got bad fast it just felt like you were just watching it all happen and it was over and it w- it was just wild i don't know yeah I, th- I think it was um i saw a tweet and i think it was cj a couple days ago um was looking at how the ducks were underperforming in in you know pretty much every projection um you know, I think Evolving Wild had them in their projections and mm-hmm. Dom's projections, and you know the Ducks weren't projected not to be good, but they're un- completely underperforming. Even the the poor projections that they had from them during the season, but they're twenty second in shooting percentage, sixteenth in save percentage at even strength. So, you know they're they're still doing well in some areas that they shouldn't be this bad. So you know he pointed that towards how poor coaching has kind of still brought them down even further than the mm-hmm. you know, their actual numbers. And when you start to look at that, like you can definitely see it. I, I think, and and I think in any other situation other than what the Ducks are in right now, like there's absolutely no way Dallas Aikens would still be here at this point or would have survived a game like the game against the Sharks. My random question. Um, 
because I know how much you love Dallas Aikens. Like, does he one deserve and two get another shot after he eventually moves on from the Ducks? I don't think he will. Because now he's got two two job defining eras. The mm-hmm. Oilers I mean, era, where th- it wasn't well, great, th- and now I think you've got four eras that you have to look at with him. You have to look at his time as the head coach of the Marlies, where he was very successful. Mm-hmm. Then he made the jump to Edmonton. Fucking disaster. Yeah. Then he came to San Diego, and he had a lot of success. He was a very good coach in the AHL. Then he came up to Anaheim, and it was a fucking disaster. Is that almost worse, looking at it that way? Because then it... it, it when you paint the picture that way with the two AHL stints, like that almost paints you as like, Hey, you're good in like, you're a good minor league coach. You're a good AHL But I coach, wonder, but. I like that. And, and so that's, that's the part of this that like trying to have a conversation about can be a little dicey because like what the gap in his, his efficacy between the two leagues is, like, where is he deficient isn't necessarily something we have access to. But, like, yeah. I wonder if on some degree it's just about buy-in. You know, I, I wonder if when it's minor leaguers and guys who have to grind constantly, right? Like, the guys who are only doing this for 70K and are putting themselves through this kind of shit and really hoping that they get that call up, right? Like, you're looking – like, when you're dealing with a bunch of guys like Sam Carrick, I think there's something, you know – to uh, to how much they more they buy into kind of his whole you know culture and his 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 ideals and what he wants out of his players and i wonder if at this level where it does kind of tend to be a little bit more about skill just because you have to work so incredibly hard to make the nhl like everybody's put in that work and so once you become an official like once you're an nhler at that point, it's it's really your health and your skill that keep you in the league. And I just wonder if for those guys, maybe his message is just doesn't hit quite as hard or what it is. But it's just I, I think there's a lot of evidence to point to the fact that he's a good coach. And I think there's a lot of evidence to point that he's a good coach, but he's not an NHL coach. Yeah, And again, yeah. I want to be wrong. I said this on Twitter like after that Sharks game. I want to be wrong so bad. I would love for him to have another chance and to really make it, you know, have, have a good run. I'm just not sure that he will get it because I think the way things went in Edmonton and now in Anaheim, it'll be hard for somebody to talk themselves into it unless he, you know, he goes down and has another great run as an AHL coach again somewhere, right? You know, whenever Dan Bilesma gets hired, if he goes and takes over the Thunderbirds job, right? Like, I, I don't know. But I, I have a hard time seeing him get that third opportunity, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it's going to be a difficult sell, I think, for, for teams to move past those two stints and how bad this one has been. I mean, like, you just you look at um, kind of the historic numbers the Ducks are approaching right now. The lowest number of, or the least amount of regulation wins in an NHL season is the Washington Capitals. I'm imagining that is their infamous um, year one mm-hmm. um, expansion season. What, like 76 or something like that? Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Because there was, I think it was the Sabres were on pace for like that 
season at one point and mm-hmm. how bad it was, and they, they eventually snapped out of it a little bit. Somebody was on pace for that. Um, but, like, it's it's within reach for the Ducks. Like, they, they have one regulation win. Um, in the same tweet, somebody said the 1980 Winnipeg Jets had one regulation win in their first 33 games. The Ducks have one regulation win right now in 29 games. So they are very close to, to getting to that. Well, 30 number. now, right? Or is tonight uh, 29? Oh, no, tonight was game 29. My yeah, bad. I think tonight was game 29. Yeah, um, that's my bad. So they, they need seven. And, you know, after the, the next game, what, 53, in 53 games, they need seven regulation wins, which should be should be possible. But they've gone 29 games with just one so far, and they don't look like they're, they're getting anywhere close to that. I think it might have been Felix who tweeted out a, a couple of days ago. I saw like their new point projections. It was like 49 points mm-hmm. or something like that right? at the end of this, like 16 points below their total so from last year. Here's the thing that's fucked up about this. And Derek Lee, I think it's called the Sporting Tribune. Mm-hmm. He wrote it. He writes at the Hockey Writers, and yeah. you know we know him that way. But like, he's got that new gig, and and um, he made a comment, and I hadn't thought about like even looking into this, but he said that if you just take the post dead trade deadline games last year for the Ducks, they basically played at the exact same pace, like a fifty point pace. Yeah. And when you say it that way, it's it's kind of crazy to think about the fact that they added players after that. Yeah. And yet they're still that bad. But also, like, at the same time, it's like, yeah, they're just not there yet. Like, the guys that could take them past that, right, that could pull them farther forward, they're just not there yet. And that's, you know, that's not their fault or anything like that. It's just the reality of it, which is why moving on from those guys last year made so much sense. Um, But it's just so weird, the idea that, like, they're basically the same team they were at the end of last year as far as um, points percentage. Yeah, it's... It's brutal. I mean, I, again, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, when you see it after almost every loss, like that picture that Bleacher Report put out there of Connor Bedard in the duck sweater, mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes its, uh, its rounds after every loss at this point. And, uh, the Ducks are firmly in that uh, number one pick spot right now with a .586 points per game percentage. Uh, Chicago is now second last with a .692 the only other team with a, an under 80.800 points per game percentage is San Jose at .767. So the Ducks are firmly in those top odds right now and are likely going to hold those for, for most of the year. I don't. I, the only team, I, again, I could see um, getting any chance of passing them is Chicago because of just how bad we knew they were going to be going into this year and knowing that eventually they're going to lose uh, if not just Patrick Kane, potentially Jonathan Chaves as well, if if they decide to move on from him. Uh, but it seems like Kane is is likely out the door, along with a lot of other Ducks players, uh, Klingberg, Shattenkirk, and others that are going to be uh, out the door. And as somebody says in the chat here, that that um, that draft lottery, if it was Anaheim, Chicago, one two, and Chicago ended up winning that uh, that draft lottery, I think I would just sign out of Twitter. For a, like a good until the draft, pretty much because you know the uh, the conspiracy theory comments about it being rigged would just be ripe, one hundred percent, like ripe and ready to go. That uh, 
the the, the league handed the Blackhawks Connor Bedard. I yeah. can't handle that. No, it'll be insane. I just hate that they're even in the mix because at least if it was like, oh, you lost to San Jose or Columbus or Arizona, like it's hard to make that argument that the 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 league is rigging it for one of those teams to get Connor Bedard. But with Chicago like right in the mix there, you know, you know that's going to be the case if they end up winning, despite having what would be the second best odds, uh, it would still be counted as being rigged. Yeah, hundred percent. And I will say this right now. The NHL doesn't rig the lottery, and you can tell they don't because if they did, Connor McDavid would not be in Edmonton. That being said, when the draft lottery comes and Anaheim does fall to third, I will literally live in a tinfoil hat. You can't take it off of me because the NHL doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt on this one. And, like, they 100%, you know what I mean? Like, it's stupid to say that they're going to rig it. But at the same time, I'm absolutely going to say that they rigged it. Um, if only Chicago just wins or if anybody other than Anaheim. No, no. If Anaheim falls three spots, if they fall one spot, hey, man, sometimes that happens. But if they fall all the way to third, then it's a for sure – I don't care. I love that. And, and like, I'd probably feel the same way too. But <laughs> mathematically, there's a higher chance that they fall to three than the, than winning first. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, it's designed to work that way. Like yeah. that's the way the system is designed, and you know I get that. Like, you know that's why I'm saying like it's stupid to think that they would, but at the same time I'm 100 percent going to lean into it because it'll make me feel better to be ridiculous. Yeah, um, it's the only way. To, it's the only that. way to act after losing out on Connor. Exactly. Back. Really, the only way to act is out of pocket, and that is the quickest way to get there. And I think that's especially important. after. What is still going to continue season. to be a long season at that point in time? Um, wrapping up, <laughs> thankfully, a, a brutal year. To not win the draft lottery would just be a nightmare. Because, like, yeah, I'm sure it's it's been tough for Chicago. I'm I'm sure for for Blackhawks fans, I don't feel sorry for them one bit. Uh, but they like you knew this was going to be like this, right? Like mm-hmm. you 100 knew they were going to be that bad. Um, as Coyotes fans are probably living it up right now. Like they're not good, but they're not anywhere near as bad as I think people thought they would be. We knew the Ducks were going to be bad. Nobody knew they were going to be this bad. Like that—that's—that's that's the thing, and that's a hundred percent why. This is my pitch to the NHL. Why I think the Ducks d- deserve it. Nobody thought we were going to be this bad, and, and we're just awful. So, yeah, uh, please hand us Connor Bedard. But we—we uh, we do have to talk. This is a post-game show, so we do have to talk about tonight's game. Um, don't want to get too into it because there really isn't too much to cover other than like the, the Ducks lost three nothing. I guess the the big talking point and discussion point of tonight was Lucas Dostal made his first start of the season, and he looked great. Like that that's the one positive from tonight is his play, and you know nobody really gave him too much help, especially on those those. I mean, the, the first goal is what, a deflection, I think, or did it end up? Yeah, a Zaitsev shot that hit Kelly. And, uh, and deflected past him, and then the first to break a goal, pass across crease from, from Drew, nothing he could do on that one. Barring those goals, he was exceptional, I thought. 35 saves on 38 shots. A great way to start your first game of the season after, again, he's been doing the same thing in San Diego. They haven't been good this year. He's been kind of the lone bright spot down there. He's used to this type of game where he gets absolutely lit up and no help in, in front of him. So uh, it's great to see him come in and play well because he's likely going to at least be a split share 
timeshare guy next year. Um, he needs to get as many games as he can and get used to this because this is what it's going to be like, and at least for the next couple of years when he's you know starting to finally move into full time NHL duties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, he looked great. He looked, he looked how you wanted him to look. He looked, um, he looked athletic. He looked comfortable. I thought he didn't. He he didn't ever look completely out of like out of his depth, um, and he had a couple of absolutely incredible saves. Like again, like he stopped a three on nothing, mm-hmm. and. I still can't believe that that happened, but I think even more I can't believe how little effort the players on the ice didn't put into trying to get back. Like, they were just like, oh, this is a 3 on no. Let's just see what happens now. And I, I, I can't, like, that breaks my old man brain. Um, <laughs> it drives me crazy. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it really, like, just absolutely breaks the boomer part of my brain. And... But he did everything you could have possibly asked of him tonight. He made as many saves as he could to, you know, he stopped everything he should have stopped tonight. And I don't think, you know, that there is anything else positive to take out of this game except for that. But with the way everything has gone over the last couple of years with Gibson and now this year being the really won't they and all that crap and then you've got Stolarz who's expiring like there is a lot to be excited about it with seeing with Lucas Dossel and the idea of putting a more talented team in front of him but a more structured team in front of him is is very very encouraging um so you know like you said it was the lone bright spot but it was a very bright spot I thought and it was it was nice to see him play so well despite you know, walking into a poor house Horror house, house of horrors. Sorry, sounded like I said whorehouse, which is not. <laughs> what I meant yeah, definitely not. Uh, do you give them another start uh, on this road trip because they've got three more games? Uh, so, Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, right? So what's the Thursday game? It's Montreal. Yeah, I started in Montreal. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, again, a lot of it depends. Because um, who's the fourth game? It's L.A. on uh, the Tuesday. Of next week. Ooh, actually, I might start him for the LA game. That's a back to back as Jimmy. well. The Ducks play the Wednesday uh, at home against Minnesota, so uh, he could get. One then of those you know games. what? I think you could talk me into doing that. Is play Gibby against the Leafs, play Gibby against the Habs. Yeah. Then play Dostal against the Kings, and then Gibby against what is it? The Wild. You said the next night. Yeah, the Wild. Yeah, yeah. yeah that the Wild feels like a a Gibby. A Gibby game, the way they've been playing, um, and obviously the way Gibson really usually takes the the tougher games. Um, so I, yeah, I would imagine I, I would like to see him against Montreal, but knowing that that's a back to back, and if Stolarz isn't healthy, you know he's gonna have to get one of those games. I don't see them playing him three games uh, and and playing Ottawa tonight and, and Montreal, and then one of those two, knowing that that's a back to back near the end of the road trip. Um, it could be possible that you know to avoid ha- giving Gibson three of the games on the road trip, you give him the next two: Toronto, Montreal. You give Dostal the, uh, the the end of the road trip game against LA, and then Gibby comes back in uh, for Minnesota. I would like to see that. I'd, I'd like to see him uh, against LA. I'd like to see him at least one more time before Stolarz comes back uh, and get him some reps in because he absolutely deserves it. 
after the performance tonight, and I know it's hard to keep him up. I mean, every time he's come up, he's looked good. It's just at this point, it's hard to keep him up because you've got Gibson and Stolarz. You you can't really have this guy sit on the bench and, and run three goaltenders at this point. Um, so unless one of them's moved on, you've got to send him back down. But I feel like every time he's come up, we've come out of the game saying, yeah, you know what? Like he he looks like he belongs. He looks like an NHL netminder. He's done everything he should have in those games. He's made you know the the important saves. Never really looked like he was rattled or you know the the moment got the best of him. So he's done what he ha- he needs to do at this point. But uh, I think. Whether it's near the end of this year, uh, if you move on from one of Gibson and Stolarz, or at least for next year, like he looks like he's ready to take that next step into actually starting, you know, fifteen to twenty games in a season. I think he's he's getting very close to that territory where he needs to start taking those next steps. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about it right now, right? So there's uh, fifty three games left in the year, like. Mm-hmm. I guess my question to you, Eduardo, is would you rather him be the number one goalie in San Diego for the rest of that season, or would you rather move on from Stolarz? Because that just makes the easiest one, right? You can always find a place to send a quality backup in the league. It makes less than a million dollars. There would be more than enough teams who would give you a second for that player. Yep. Um, And then have it kind of be a 30-20 split with Gibby Dostal for the rest of the for the rest of the season? Like, which would you rather have, do you think? Would you rather him just be the def- definitive number one down in San Diego or take a little bit more, just be like a little bit above a backup? Yeah. Um, if, I, if I had to choose the between the two scenarios, I would choose with him, uh, with Stolarz moving and him becoming that you know, that backup behind John Gibson, basically taking the starts that Stolarz would get, the back-to-backs, and um, in in a heavy um, schedule of of games, if there's no back-to-backs, you know, one start here or there, um, which would give him about 15 to 20 starts near the end of the year from now. Um, That would be like the ideal situation between the two. I think what what probably plays out and and what's the most likely scenario is he goes back down to to San Diego when uh, Stolarz is healthy, Mm -hmm. is a starting netminder until the deadline, and then Stolarz could potentially get moved at that point. And then for the you know the end of the season, February beyond, he takes up that role as the backup and and gets to hopefully at that point uh, more of a split for the rest of the year. Like they, I think like what the, the ducks did, I believe at the end of last year with Stolarz and Gibson mm-hmm. as well as they, they almost the last 10 games of the season, they just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And they both play five. So I think that's the most likely situation we see, but I would be between the two of, of him staying down and being number one in San Diego for the rest of the year, or taking over that, that spot from Stolarz and doing like a 30, 20 split with Gibson. I'd rather see that. Cause I think he's ready for that, that next step. And he needs at this point as many NHL games as he can get to really start getting his feet wet at that at that level. So I'm um, I think he's ready for it. I'd love to see it. Yeah, no, I I I am prone to agree. The thing that's interesting is he is an RFA at the end of this season. In that vein, I do wonder if it does make more sense. To not give him an opportunity to look great. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's shitty, but like, you know, whatever. It is what it is, right? That's the reality of it. I do wonder if maybe what you want to do is bring him in, like you said, at the very end of the season after the deadline makes him, maybe you can get like eight, nine games, something like that. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, okay. So, you know, and you give him like a three by one point, like basically give him the deal you just gave Troy Terry, right? Yeah. And just be like, okay, perfect. Now you're our backup. And then, you know, Gibby's got four years left at that point. So, you know, it, it best, makes sense. Best case by the end of that, those three years, you're ready to be the starter. Right. And, uh, and at that or point. Or you are the starter and where we've got you on a nice deal. So, yeah. And at, in you know, worse comes to worse. You can always at that point he'll be an expiring, so you could move on from Gibby if you needed to, right? And yeah. Dostal. And again, that's the best case scenario is you're now in a position where Dostal has come in and claimed that spot for himself, but you're not kind of screwed quite like Florida was with Spencer Knight being a little quick to be ready and Bobrovsky having the fucking deal from hell still. <laughs> um you know, and, and so I think, you know, you're less, you know, if in the summer of 2026, you're moving on from a second round pick and, you know, a, a decent prospect to move John Gibson's last year, his deal. I don't, I don't think you're too upset about that. Um, you know, so I, I looking at that and not realize, I don't know why I didn't realize he was an RFA at the end of this year. I, I do think it is like you're saying far more likely now that he doesn't come up to the deadline. That's just the expiry of the entry level, right? At this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. so he doesn't have Arbrights or anything like that, but you know, I just yeah, he's going to be no, it can, you know, it, can, it can definitely play into it. Um, yeah, he's going to be twenty three next summer. Yeah, it, it just feels like the the next step in that progression is uh, the I, th- I think they're getting a, uh, obviously they have to get a look at him right now. It is a back to back, and Stolarz is hurt, and he's the the third man, you know, beyond anybody else in, in this organization right now. So they have to get a look at him, but. Every time he comes up and performs well, you're like, you know, and I'm sure the organization sees it as okay. Like we've, we've got to start getting more looks at this kid. You know, we're 29 games in, and this is his first look uh, on this year. He's been good again in the AHL. He's been good again with his his first look of the season this year. You start got to start getting more looks at him, and I think it makes it easy to have those conversations about moving Anthony Stolarz at the deadline. As good as Stolarz has been, like at some point you've got to. You've got to make way for this. Right, to it's start not. Getting more it's starts, not in yeah. any way a um, a knock against Anthony Stolarz, right? Because I think the reality of it is, is in a perfect world, you probably move John Gibson, but the contract makes that far from feasible. Yeah. And so at that point, what it is, it's about he's a good player on a great contract. He can get Anaheim a quality asset, I would assume, and he could have a chance to go make a cup run. Uh, with somebody you know what I mean it's 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 not in any way a knock on him it's more of just the totality of the circumstance and yeah. his being a good player you know and, and if he's the backup goalie for somebody I, I don't think you're in a bad way with it so no and he's I mean, he's proven it enough that he he can be a quality backup even yeah with the struggles that the that the Ducks have had this has really been the first year that he struggled and the Ducks have just been Bad to a whole nother level this year. Um, Avid25 had a question in the chat. So, do you think the bad season slows the growth of Zegers and McTavish at all? I'll, I'll let you start with that one. I don't. I'm not. I don't. If, like, 
from a skill perspective, from a physical perspective, I don't. I don't think it has any real issue on that. I think you run the risk of there being some, I don't know, like uh, mental or emotional residue kind of being left on them. But it's so early in the process. And again, like, I do think Akins is a quality communicator. And, and I think his ability to kind of stay engaged with these young players and things like that. And even when it's not going great, like I do have faith that he can talk to them in a way that's not going to ruin their development. Um, you know, Trevor Zegers is having a nice year. Mason McTavish is having a nice year. Like, I don't think there's really anything to be concerned about in the way that they're playing right now. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think the team overall is obviously shit. But I don't, I don't think those guys, you look at the way that they're playing this year and, and are worried that next year there could be a significant step back beyond, you know, Mason McTavish just having a sophomore slump or whatever it is. But yeah. I, I don't see anything from them this year that makes me concerned about uh, their ability to keep uh, progressing, right? Yeah, it, it's funny. Like, this, this always comes up in any argument with like young players on a bad team and is continually being that bad going to stunt their growth or hurt their development. Like it's a question that always comes up. Uh, So it's not a bad question at all, but I always want like you, you, you always end up seeing the other side of it. Right. And most of the time, if the player is, is, you know, touted as being a superstar or quality player, they turn it around and become that player at the end of the day. Like, and, and I think the fact with Zegris and, and McTavish are also both already playing well this year. Like, I don't think they're victims of it. You know, like, one guy who I think has been at, like, the heat of that conversation for a while has been Clayton Keller in Arizona. And, you know, they're still bad this year, and he's still a great player for them this year, right? Like, a guy who's going to be putting up 60, 70 points. Um, and, and one of those guys maybe you don't appreciate until the team is actually good where you start saying, okay, like this guy's a big part of their success here and not just 60 points wasted on a, on a tough year. I, I don't think at all it, it's going to slow the growth of, of Zegers from McTavish. And if anything, like uh, it's it's an, an, an interesting growth spot for them to be put into and how they handle you know the struggles of, of being this bad and where the games don't really mean anything. And, and as the season goes on, they're going to mean much much less than they do now. Um, you're not really fighting for anything. You're again. You're just really playing for your pride at that point to finish the season strong and try and try and win every game that you're going into. So, I think it's a good learning opportunity for both of them. And if anything, it helps develop character. And I think, in that sense, you've got the right coach in place to help them get through a tough season like this. So I am thankful for the player coach side of things for Dallas Akins that he's there during this and there isn't you know, lofty expectations put on this team that they, you know, aren't stupid enough to think they are competitors and that they should be fighting for a playoff spot. And then, then that translates to the players saying, okay, well, you guys aren't good enough, um, this and that. And, and then it starts being a really unbearable place to play. I think that does help them that they can go out there, focus on their game and just try and try and win every game that they go out there and play. And, and I, I don't think it's had a negative effect on them. I, I haven't seen you know, um, any signs from them that it's affected them in a negative way playing in, in for such a bad team this year. And I think they all know that the, the 
the project is in place and they're big parts of it. And eventually that this is, you know, this is going to turn around and they're going to be at the forefront of why it does. So I, I don't think, uh, I don't think it slows the growth of them by any means. Yeah, no, I think like you said, it's going to be a project and, um, it's going to take them some time. And I, you know, I think like I saw earlier, like I mentioned earlier, Trevor Zegers was kind of quitting on the three on O, like really frustrated me. And like, again, like I said, like it just breaks my brain because like, that's, that's the stuff that you can control, right? It's just the effort, whether or not you get there is a different conversation, but you can control the effort. But like, I don't really think that that's a result of this year. I don't think that's a result of him quitting on the coach or anything like that. I think what that's a result of is like, him being a smart player and knowing, like, I'm not going to be able to get there. So it really is up to the goalie to make a save. And the moment the goalie made a save, like, he did try to jump into the play. This is just one of those things for me that I would prefer to see him be there so that if the goalie, like, if Dostal does make that save, he's in a very much better position to take that and go the other direction and get that pressure off of Dostal after, you know, saving their asses like that. So, like, I don't think that even that, which, again, my brain frustrated me pissed me off frankly i would have benched trevor for you know three four minutes for that shit um i don't think that's an indictment of the coach i don't think that's an indictment of the player's relationship with the coach or with the player's ability to cope with having such a a down year as far as wins and losses go and i don't think ultimately it's an indictment of the player i think this is one of those things where you're just like meh you know and it happens regardless. I think. Yeah, and you know, and I think more people than not would say I'm making a mountain out of a molehill, and that's probably true. Um, so to that point, I'm I'm not worried about it yet. I think they played with a little bit more tempo tonight than they did in the San Jose game, but that wasn't going to be hard to do. I think for me, seeing how they finish this road trip um, will have a lot of kind of influence on how I feel about this team going through, you know, the heart of the year where it's going to suck, where teams are going to be really breaking it down, where teams are going to, or battening it down. Teams are really going to be starting to look to add guys, you know, maybe pieces of this team are going to be gone. Maybe other teams are going to be getting better, right? Like there's just all these other things that as they get into January, February, it's going to change. And at this point, I don't think there's any reason to think it's having a significantly negative effect on them beyond the fact that they're probably just pissed. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody, nobody likes to lose, but there, there aren't any negative signs in terms of attitude or, or body language mm-hmm. that show that, that thing is just like devolving quickly. Um, all right. So we had some news about the world junior, the players, the prospects for Canada at the world juniors, all three of them. Um, that were named to World Junior Camps for, for Team Canada. It was Nathan Goche, Owen Zellweger, which weren't big surprises returning from last year, and Tyson Hines, who were named to, uh, to Canada's World Junior Selection Camp. Uh, the roster was announced today. All three of them made it, which was, um, again, not a surprise for Goche and Zellweger, a little surprising for Tyson Hines, but it's it's nice to see rewarding for uh, a great season that he's had so far. And I personally haven't been able to watch a ton of him, so I I know it's not going to be a major role for Canada that he gets, but I hope it it is at least you know not a seventh defenseman is is a consistent role on a nightly basis on a game by game basis that we get to see him play. You know, I'm excited for him. He was um, on hand 
in Moncton for the announcement to be like one of the the guys that are there when they make that uh, that announcement. So uh, I'm happy for him, man. It's great to see all three of them go. And uh, listen, if you're going to want to watch Ducks prospects this year at the World Juniors, you got to cheer for Team Canada, right? So that's, yeah, that's, that's I mean, just the case. Yeah, not to mention that uh, Fantilli and Bedard. I think according to Scott Wheeler's lineup projection, he had them playing wing for Logan Stankoven. Yeah. And that's just, Jesus, man. That sounds like a hell of a time. Both, right both of them on the same line, I think, is, is unbelievable. Right. And then see. on top of that, you've got them playing. You've got Stankoven down the center. Yeah. And that absurd shot that he has. like That's just. Um, so four. Four ducks. Uh Ducks prospects at this time. Yeah, because yeah. One of, one of Fantilli and Bedard will be a duck. Uh, to, you know, hopefully mm-hmm. Bedard, but <laughs> Fantilli's a a nice secondary uh, choice if it comes down to it. So, mm-hmm. but I think yeah, I think it's great. I think it's nice to see you know a couple of these guys because again, like when this season is going this direction, this is the kind of stuff that you're looking to be able to kind of lean on and go. The future's not quite as dark as it seems. Um, this is kind of the light at the end of the tunnel is seeing guys like Zellweger and Hines, you know, and Gauthier. Like, these are guys that, you know, with the exception, I would say, of Zellweger, like, these are guys that making it is is more encouraging than not for Anaheim, right? Because, like, Zellweger, you know exactly what you're getting with him. We know his size isn't an issue at this level for him. So it makes sense that, you know, he's got all the skill in the world and he's going there. What it's going to be with him is whatever preseason he plays, right? Next year is when it'll be a little bit more of seeing what he's got. But you expect him to be on this team. Yeah. Gaucher is going to be playing a depth role for them. Tyson Hines is going to be playing a depth role for them. And they're not as flashy. They're not as much of a standout. And so to see them make this team and be able to play, hopefully, meaningful roles and be contributors to, uh, you know, again, a, a Team Canada roster that's just pretty much walking to every tournament expecting to win. And when they don't, it's it's an indictment on basically the entirety of Canada. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 good. It's going to be nice to watch and to see how they do. And then you know, again, like when this team is this bad right now, looking at guys like Fantilli and Bedard and being able to see some of these guys at, at this tournament uh, who are going to be uh, have their name in the top of the hat for the draft in 23, like it's great. It's an opportunity for, you know, and I'm fans to have a little bit of fun to find something a little bit more positive to root for. And, you know, it's, it's nice to just have something a little bit different, kind of wash the taste of shit out of your mouth. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, I, I look forward to this tournament every year. It's always, it's always nice um, being able to see, obviously <laughs> as many ducks prospects as we can there. It's not going to be quite as high profile for ducks fans as the last two. And obviously Zegris was, the the main draw for us uh two years ago and mctavish last year obviously we know about the back-to-back mvp situation that that the ducks ended up walking into um so n- nothing really like that on the horizon Giselle Wager is going to be the main guy to watch for ducks fans this year on canada or I, I guess bedard and fantilli will be the main guys for for anybody including ducks fans to watch this year uh, but in terms of current prospects zellweger will be the guy um, see yeah so, no, no, go finish. No, it's just because Elwager will be the guy hoping that he ends up, um, you know, being a defense, best defenseman at the tournament or at least in that discussion. Yes, I think that's more than fair. I, and I think that's right, right? It's like if you're looking at guys who could have 
who have the potential to have the kind of uh, tournament that McTavish and Zegers just did, it's absolutely Zellweger. But I, I, again, I think if you're an Anaheim fan, the other guys are the guys that are more important to watch. Yeah. When are they used? Who are they put out there with? What are they being asked to do? How do they play? Because we know Zellweger can dominate this level. He's he's just too good. Yeah. Um, you know, and and he might not do it every game, but we have seen him take over games. We know that any one shift of his can be you know, absurd. And so I think getting an idea of what these guys do that, you know, are, pro- I mean, again, like fucking Nathan Gauthier is already like six three two ten. Like yeah, the only thing holding him back from being in the NHL is like his age and whatever, like skill or technical maturity that he kind of needs to continue to build on. Um, and the same thing with Tyson Hines. Like he's a guy who just kind of surprised. I think he was like a late round draft pick a couple of years ago. Yeah. Four, five, six range, something like that. Something and I know like it's that, like yeah. half the fucking draft, but um, anyways, but like, so like it, it'll be really cool and to kind of see what these guys do and how they're used and, and what they can kind of hopefully bring to Anaheim moving forward. Yeah. No, well, well deserved for, for Tyson this year is 28 points in 27 games. Um, I don't think he's ever really been, you know, high on Hockey Canada's radar. So it's just one of those types of situations where he's had a really good year. <laughs> they like what he's going to bring. Um, probably not on the offensive side of things. Not to say again, he he he's never been a flashy point getting offensive defenseman, but he's been one of those guys who kind of like can steadily put up like a half point per game. And now in his what I think is his final. Um, season of junior, he started to you know take that that next step forward, and in, in that sense, so he'll be you know a, a nice steady defenseman for them. He's six foot three, one hundred ninety pounds, so he's going to be kind of a shutdown, rangy two way guy for them. So he he's just a guy I'm interested to watch more of, right? Is a of of the other two we've seen a little bit of them. We watched them play in this tournament last year um, with Hines playing in Quebec. You don't get to watch too much of him as is already. Um, so it'd be nice to, to get a, a couple more looks at him and, and really see what he can do. Um, you know, I, another guy w- I would have really liked to see at the tournament was Tristan Luneau. I think he's he's deserved it the way he's played. He's second in, in Q- QMJHL scoring among defensemen. Um, but there's, I mean, with guys like Brant Clark coming back and Zellweger coming right. back, it's it's hard to get those types of defense. Like, it's funny, like, it's easier for guys like Tyson Hines almost to make it because you have a different skill set. You're a shutdown guy. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, you're you're going to play a different role. They know the role you're going to play. For Luno, it's harder for almost for him to make it because the the high profile level of you know defenseman of the point getters. There, there's always the really top high echelon guys like Clark and Zellweger who are going to take those roles. You're not really going to get a guy like Luno who's going to come in and be brought onto the roster as that type of defenseman when you've already got those guys there. So I think based on skill alone, like he deserves to be on Team Canada, but when you've got those roles filled by just elite-level prospects like that, you just you can't justify bringing a guy like that to the tournament, unfortunately. But he's going to stay back, and he's going to um, hopefully continue to play well. We mentioned you know Mintikov, um, Pastuov as well as, as guys that Pastuov with the snub, um, that once he comes back from injury is is going to or injury or illness I'm not sure why he's out right now but 
he'll continue to play well. And Mintikov, obviously, with Russia not being at the tournament, is going to be able to stay with Saginaw and continue playing uh, really well for them. He scored his 13th goal of the season uh, a couple days ago as a defenseman, which is just wild. Like, this guy's just just balling out this year. So, future's bright and hopefully brighter with, uh, with Connor Bedard at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, so just to update everybody, Tyson Hines went 76th overall in 2021, which was a third-round pick. So he was a very high third-round pick, so I could not have been more wrong if I tried. Um, but, yeah, he's he's going to he's gonna have an opportunity to play a meaningful depth role for the team, and it's going to be awesome. It's really exciting. Like you said, it's a bummer we're not going to get to see Pasyov or Minchikov uh, because – one, it'll, it would be really great to see more of Minchikov, knowing, you know, that you want to look for him. And then with Pastyov, it's always just interesting to see kind of, you know, where guys are and using things like World Juniors and stuff like that as uh, kind of uh, measuring sticks for how they're doing against their peers, how they're coming along in their development, things like that. So um, it'll be a fun tournament to watch there, you know, and it just maybe makes a... Uh, rookie camp next year all the more interesting because we won't have had the opportunity to see some of these guys yeah until i guess you know the memorial cup or whatever yeah exactly yeah which uh pastrov or uh even leno as well could could both be a part of um all right three games remaining this week toronto tomorrow montreal thursday and edmonton on i believe saturday uh let me double check yeah edmonton on saturday uh what do you have as your results for these games? This is our Ducks game game score predictions brought to you by 714 Tickets. What do you got, Steven? I will say they... I will say they beat Toronto. And... Bold, bold statements. But you have been relatively almost close to correct every every week so far, so... I shouldn't be I shouldn't be saying anything. I said that they were going to uh, beat San Jose and lose against Carolina, and both were wrong. So, yeah, I, I just think that this is one of those things where, like, if you told me they beat, they took, um, God, my brain completely turned off. If they took Toronto to shootout, mm-hmm. you know, I, that wouldn't surprise me, right? I could see Gibby having a bounce back game um, against high end opponents. Sorry, um, you know I could see Gibby just having a bounce back game, having a great game, standing on his head for a little bit against uh, you know uh, a big team and them getting a, a random shootout win. Um, Montreal, I would expect them to lose because I there seems to be something to they certainly don't show up for the bottom half of this league, and that's Montreal. So then, who's after Montreal? Is LA? You said? Edmonton. Edmonton. Oh, yeah, no, they're going to get smoked by Edmonton. There's no structure. There's no foot speed. There's no physicality. Anything that you can use to minimize or, you know, slightly nudge off his game of McDavid and Drysdale, they just don't have right now. So unless we get a superstar game out of one of the young kids, which I would love to see, uh, I think they're going to get absolutely destroyed. Yeah, I think that one will be a high-scoring one. Um, but Drysaddle absolutely loves playing against us, and it's in Edmonton. Um, it's going to be a tough one. I, I 
pick that one as a loss too. I think I think I'm gonna flip the Toronto Montreal game on you, uh, which means I'll probably be wrong. Um, I'm gonna pick a loss to Toronto just because every time, like I said, every time I watch that game, every time I I make a plans either to go to that game or or to hang, head to a buddy's house to watch that game, they lose. So I I don't have any faith in them ever winning in Toronto. So I'm gonna pick a loss tomorrow and and win against Montreal. Um, I do think one of the Toronto or Edmonton game will go to overtime or a shootout. I think we'll be able to, to drag one of those games um, and get an extra point out of it. I'm, I'm hoping at least just for one win out of this, uh, this well, I guess it's a five-game road trip, but of these four games this week, obviously the first one ending in a loss. So out of these next three, I'm hoping for a win, and I think the most likely and, and place for it to come uh, is against Montreal, which... Again, like I said, probably means that it, it, it won't end up <laughs> We're happening. Get so, smoked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it'll it'll be it's gonna be an interesting road trip, you know. Historically the uh, Eastern Canada road trip is not the kindest to Anaheim. Uh, and the Oilers being what the Oilers are right now, you know, that's just kind of a doomed to fail in a sense. Um but they'll have an opportunity to, you know, try to salvage a little bit of pride, a little bit of dignity before they come home. It, I don't know, man. Like, I just, it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to be an interesting week and get an idea of kind of where this team is at. But I would really like to see somebody on this team over the next couple of games just step up and, and really kind of assert themselves, even, you know, even if, I, I don't know, even if it's just like, nastiness or something right go run a goalie i don't give a shit like do something and just really find someone on this team who can try to spark a little bit of life back into this team because i think some of the leadership guys that they have right now their leadership style isn't that and that's not to their detriment it's just that's not the kind of guys they are and when you have guys acting outside of themselves is when you get into trouble and things like that so um you know, you just want to see a little bit somebody. I would, I would really like to see somebody just kind of try to make a point over these next couple of games that you might beat them, but they are going to make it easy. Um, you know, and you can make an argument. Dostal did that tonight, and that's awesome for him. You know, he made a, he had a great effort, like we said earlier. So, I think it's six more games until Christmas. Uh, Toronto, Montreal, Edmonton, L.A., Minnesota, Calgary. Six more games until Christmas. Eight more games in the month of December. Um, they play the, on the twenty seventh. They play on the twenty eighth. They play uh, the Sharks, right? Vegas. Oh, Vegas. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's after the road trip. It's Minnesota at uh, Minnesota, Calgary, Vegas, Nashville at home. It's actually a, a nine game homestand um, with the, the first three, first five games in January. Uh, that are or sorry for it's a ten game homestand. The first six games. In January, at home, Philly, Dallas, San Jose, Boston, Edmonton, New Jersey, before uh, they head out on the road for a another longish road trip, six games after that. So we're working our way slowly here uh, to the halfway point of the season. It's been a struggle so far, but uh, again, like we always say, light at the end of the tunnel. Anything else you want to hit before we, we move to start wrapping this one up? Uh, according to Evolving Hockey, Nathan Beaulieu has the best relative XG expected goals for per 60 of anybody on the Ducks. 
Yeah. Do with that. Uh, do with that what you will. That, Former that, that doesn't uh, or future Norris winner Nathan Beaulieu, yeah. whose name I think I've said seven different times over the course of this year, and I won't apologize for it. I have no idea how to say that fucking word. It's, uh, uh, it's like Goche. We don't really know how to say it's it. It's not. That's not how I. Again, like I have nowhere to stand on this, but I just know that's not how you're supposed to say that. There's, there's no T. There's not even an I. Like there's nothing. Every there. every French name that looks like that is Goche. It has to be. I don't think that's it's how like that works. Freddie the goat. It, it every even if it's spelled G A U C H E R. It, it's going to sound like it's G A U T H I E R. It's going to just. Gauthier? Yeah, Freddie the Goat. Isn't it Freddie Go- Gauthier? They all sound like Gauthier. I thought Gauthier was the dude who sang the Didn't Have to Let Me Go song, and that was G O T Y E. G O T Y E? Yeah, Gauthier. He's like the. Oh, didn't have yeah. To let... yeah. That's, 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 French that's how you say it. Probably. Probably seems French Canadian. Yeah. Any any spell. It's like a weird David Bowie knockoff. Yeah, it's probably French Canadian. Hundred percent. The fact that I've seen the music video um, on TV when I was growing up, like enough, and heard it on the radio, it's ninety percent Canadian. You know. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Side note. Because I love that you guys have a yeah. uh, homegrown talent fucking quota that's so cool yeah it's how many songs i thought were like uber popular until doing this podcast and and meeting you guys and and talking to americans more and then realizing that 90 percent of the songs of my childhood on the radio are just canadian artists that we were forced to listen to (laughs) yeah pretty much and they weren't really popular songs we were just forced to make them popular because of canadian radio that rocks is is pup is pop a Canadian band? Pup? I yeah. don't know. Okay. I haven't heard of them. They're so one of those bands not. that I only ever hear hockey people talk about, like Pup. Um, what is it? The Hold Steady. And then what's that fucking old person Canadian band? Nickelback. No, dumbass. Not that. <laughs> uh, 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 Tragically Hip? Yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's a couple what? bands that I have to ask if they're as popular in the same scene there as they are here, knowing that they were big here, but only I'm not knowing if it was just because we were forced to listen to them. So Billy Talent and Marianas Trench are were they big pop in like the pop punk scene in the U.S. What's the first one you said? Billy Talent. Billy Talent. So uh, I no, take that. Absolutely no. not. Okay. Mariana's Trench is a thing I think I've heard of, <laughs> but I don't know that I ever heard. So their it's music. a thing. Like their uh, it, it, their band name is based off of an actual thing. So you probably yeah. heard of the thing. Yeah, um, I definitely know what the Mariana's Trench is. Wow, I th- I th- I figured cool the second far. one. I figured the second one. Yeah. Okay. Maybe not. I thought Billy Talent was bigger than than that. Do you ever hear of an artist named Billy Talent who did like pop punk? Yeah, my girlfriend said to go back to a fucking U punk. <laughs> well, damn. Uh, I gotta, I gotta bring more of those because I, I, they're. And let me tell you right so... now, uh, the dudes who do the Calgary Flame rap are not popular in in California, in the states. Yeah, I figured they're not yeah. popular here either. Thank God. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Well, well, the biggest Canadian down here is uh, Gordon Lightfoot. Who? Gordon Lightfoot? Just the regular Edmund Fitzgerald? The greatest Canadian musician of all time? Screw both of them. Sorry. We've got an argument about Gordon Lightfoot versus Shania Twain and Justin Bieber. Ah, come on. We all know who the real, the real OG is. Um, all right. That's going to do it. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, tough, tough go, but we're back at it again tomorrow. I mean, we're not back at it, but the Ducks are back at it tomorrow. I mean, you thought you might get a full return of the post-game show. That's not happening. No. Uh, no, no. We'll, we'll be back next week or on the weekend, one of the two, depending on when Stephen and I feel like doing it. There show. will absolutely be at least one more show between now and Christmas. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Probably. Which means more. that you guys won't hear from us till February. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll continue to not hear from Pat and Jay until we decide to let them out of our basement. So It's not looking great, guys. No, it's, it's, it's not looking good. Uh, if you want to help us keep going throughout the season, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Search for Evermighty and leave us a rating and a review. and We'll read it on the show, which we say every time, and I, I haven't looked. So I will look, and if there are new ones, we'll read it on the show. Uh, we do really appreciate them, despite me not looking at them. Uh, also on Spotify, you can leave us a rating now, so make sure to do that if you haven't already. All video versions of the show exist on YouTube. You can go to youtube.com slash Podcast. Make sure to subscribe, and we also put out additional content on there when we can. Uh, has been a while, but the most recent additional content, and there has been a few interviews by uh, yours truly, Stephen, so there is extra episodes that do go out on YouTube. Uh, check out our website at forevermighty.com to find everything in one place, where to watch, uh, listen to the show, how to support the show. You can find some bios on the two hosts that we continually refer to as Pat and Jay if you want to learn a bit more about them because you're not going to learn more about them on the show. It is weird. They both <laughs> changed their names to Simples, and they are now the podcasters known as Jason and Pat. Yeah. And now, they're, they're, now their names are just Symbols. Well, I, cool. I, like we refer to them every show, and I, there's probably some new listeners that have come on this year. I would hope, right? Um, but they don't know who they are beyond that one episode uh, that Pat came and a few episodes that that Jay's been here this year. So, if you want to find out more about them, um, they you can go call to your website. senator. You can look at call you can your, look at uh, their PM. bios, and you can go back to uh, episodes from a couple years ago when they were on uh, more often. But yeah, they are. Avid, they are like two miss two two of the they are miss like unicorns. Yes, you are one hundred percent correct. Um, <laughs> on Twitter, you can find us at, at Forever Mighty FM. Myself at, at at Eddie Van Jones and Stephen is at the Hockey Boomer. But that's gonna do it for today. Thanks for letting us relive the past year with uh, a post game show. Thanks for everyone for listening. We're gonna try and do these more often uh, when we can. But I think the future of the post-game show, uh, we're going to try and do more, uh, what are they called, Twitter spaces? Yeah, Whatever. for however long Twitter lasts. Twitter could be dead tomorrow. For all we yeah, know. yeah, that, that was the plan until Twitter went uh, AWOL. So I don't know if that's going to be the case. But uh, the reason we did this post-game show on Twitch is because we needed to do an episode anyway because we didn't do one this weekend. But uh, any future post-game shows, if we don't also have to do a show, we're going to try and do uh, on Twitter spaces, but stay tuned before, before Jesus, I can't, I can't you're all right, man. We'll have another one uh, before Christmas, before Christmas. <laughs> uh, and then on the other side of the holidays, I've got two different conversations. I want to have one. I want to have yellow pinata, Chris Watkins back on. Uh, we just had Seahack. We just had 
Michael Blake McCurdy did a wonderful uh, presentation on aging curves and I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with Chris about that. The other one is a buddy of mine named Evan Liu, writes for Mile High Hockey. Uh, he's one of the editors there, and we're going to you know, talk about uh, the abs a little bit and some, some big league-wide stuff and maybe play a dumb game or something like that. Uh, but he has agreed to come on, but he's like 15, so I have to wait for him to not have finals. Uh, but then we're going to talk to him. So we've got a couple of things we're, we're hoping to do. Uh, like Eddie said, go back, check out the uh, stuff we've done in the past, some of the different conversations. Um, oh, yeah, and we are... Um, we just had an interview with Lindsay Ember, who is the organist for the Ducks. That was a really, really fun time. She was awesome. That was a good one. Uh, support her on Twitter or whatever. If you, uh, uh, you know, again, listen to that episode. We had a lot of fun talking to her. Or I had a lot of fun talking to her. She was great. Yeah. So, um, and we are also working on an uh, interview with... Pavel Mintikov at some point um, had it already all set up and, and ready to schedule. And then uh, I caught COVID, I think was, yeah, this was a month you ago. You caught something, man. And it wasn't and, good. And then when I was look, talking with them to reschedule it uh, for this week, I got the flu this week. So uh, both times I've had tried to schedule it. I've, I've been sick. So hopefully they're, they're more than forgiving to come and, and try at it a third time here. That, that one probably... Uh, at this point, and how close it is to Christmas will be an after Christmas one, but that is that is also in the works too. So that will be uh, that'll be a fun one to uh, to bring in, and I'm sure he'll have plenty of time, obviously with with no World Juniors as well. So it'll be that'll be a fun one to sit down and do. But thanks for everybody who came out live. Thanks for everybody listening after the fact, and we'll see you one more time at least before Christmas. Take care, guys. Bye, everybody.